Hello everyone, I'm your host, Regan Kelly, and you're listening to That Overlooked. This is a podcast where we delve deep into all things overlooked, with an emphasis on overlooked history and cultural aspects, and all things involved in this. I really appreciate you all tuning in, and if you're looking for any more information or to contact us, you can do so through any of our social media pages at That Overlooked. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into it. Hello again, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of That Overlooked, a podcast where we delve deep into topics that may often be disregarded in the grand scheme of society today. Now, this podcast has been in the works for quite some time, and I'm really excited to get started, and I really appreciate you tuning in to have a listen. Today, we're going to start with the first episode in a series of topics where we will discuss my hometown of Mullingar in County Westmeath in Ireland. I'd always felt that this town was a clear example of something that was overlooked in terms of our overall national story here in Ireland. With a rich history and a distinct cultural identity, I start my podcast here, as I believe this little town has a unique story to tell. Where else to start this series than in a place where many people first lay their eyes on Mullingar, which is the railway station? The station itself is situated on the top of Clonmore Road, directly facing the banks of the Royal Canal, another hugely important aspect of the town's history. The railway lines that the station serves sprawl across both directions of the town, making the railway's presence clearly known throughout the urban area. The station itself would leave even the most enthusiastical of architects in awe, with its overarching entrance, glistening stone walls and almost perfectly preserved platforms. Officially the station was opened in 1855, although this was not the start of the town's railway journey. There had already been temporary stations set up throughout the surrounding area when the Midland Great Western Railway Company decided to create the new Dublin to Galway line passing through Mullingar. The Dublin to Mullingar section was built in stages between 1846 and 1848. Officially, the Mullingar to Galway line opened in 1851. Throughout these eight or nine years, the town was served by a temporary station situated just west of the present-day station across from the modern-day Greyhound Stadium. Nowadays, this station mainly serves only one of the two original lines. In fact, the first line to reach the town was indeed the Galway Line, which many people in Mullingar refer to as the Athlone Line, since it served the two biggest towns in Westmeath, Athlone and Mullingar. This line went into disrepair within the past 30 years, only being used for very rare instances. Thankfully though, this line has been converted into a cycle track, linking the two towns, but also serving smaller villages throughout the county, referred to as the Old Rail Trail or the Westmead Greenway. We will hear a lot more about this later. Now, I spoke with someone incredibly important to the town of Mullingar, a previous member of the town council and our own local historian. Her name is Ruth Illingworth. Ruth discussed the station's history with me and some interesting facts surrounding the station and the disused Athlone line. Yes, um, Mullingar Railway Station uh, goes back to the 1840s. Um, The first train reached the town from Dublin in October 1848 uh, and then continued the railway line, what is now known as the Old Rail Trail, 
opened this year is actually its hundred and seventieth anniversary. It opened on the first of August, eighteen fifty one. So that took the rail line on from Mullingar to Athlone and on to Galway. Um, and then the second rail line, the, the line to Sligo, that was built in 1853-1854 and it opened in 1855. Uh, and the railway station buildings, most of the buildings, date from around 1857. They had a, started off with a sort of temporary buildings and then they built what is regarded as some of the finest Victorian railway architecture in Ireland. Um, the designer was a man called J.S. Mulvaney, and he worked for the company who actually ran the rail services between here and Dublin, uh, what was known as the Midland Great Western Railway Company. Um, and it's the, the even where there's, the buildings are situated is kind of unique in that you have, for example, what's now the ticket office, right on the sort of the junction between where the two lines separate, the line to Athlone going southwest and the line to Longford and Sligo going northwest. Um, and it's quite a large complex uh, because you have those main buildings that are still in use, the ticket office and um, the waiting area uh, along the, the, the platforms. And then particularly as you go out along the Galway line in the direction of where the rail trail now starts, you have a large number of buildings, engine sheds, um, old uh, sort of workshops, uh, plus uh, a row of houses, which have the last of them, I think, closed up about a year ago. Uh, and these houses, which kind of front onto the Clonmore Road just beside the Mullingar Fire Station, these were originally houses of senior um, railway staff, including at one stage the station master um, and the, these houses are now sadly derelict but there's, I think there's some talk of them being restored uh, by the county council and being, and being used as housing again. It was at this point that Ruth informed me of something quite interesting surrounding the old railway terrace row of houses just slightly up from the station on Clonmore Road behind our modern day fire station. And in 1869 it was a very dramatic event which made national headlines when the then station master, a man called Thomas Ankatel, was actually murdered just near his door, the door of his house. He'd uh, come down the, the line from the Galway platform uh, and was shot by someone hidden in the hedge beside his house and he died from his wounds. Uh, nobody was ever convicted of the murder but it was believed that it was carried out by a secret society called the Ribbon Men and that it had something to do with um, his having sacked a number of staff for drunkenness and other offences. Um, but it, it murder at Mullingar Station it became one of the most sensational um, events in Victorian Mullingar and, and remains as a uh, kind of um, well, an unsolved crime to this day. I also spoke with Ruth about the intriguing Athlone or Galway line visible from the canal. One can see the row of houses conjoined with an engine shed and an old steam train turnstiles. For years walking down this direction, it had become increasingly difficult to see the actual train tracks. But since the old rail trail has been built, the council have done a brilliant job in restoring this to its almost former glory. She would also go on to detail to me the significance of the line for the town and for the country. 
and uh, that <coughs> that line along there, the Mullingar Galway uh, Athlone Galway line, uh, began to close from around 1973. Uh, the, the CIE move started downgrading that particular line. Uh, and it closed passenger traffic, I think it was 1987. There were a few freight trains using it and the odd specials train for a few more years, but effectively it was derelict from the 1990s. Um, but what you did have along there, uh, until a few years ago, I think the, the Railway Preservation Society of Ireland had workshops there, uh, and there were kind of doing up old railway carriages which were occasionally used for sort of special steam train excursions coming and going from Mullingar, usually around this time of year, around Easter and in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, there's also an area there which is popularly known as the gantry. Uh, and you can still see the machinery there and I think some work still goes on there. Um, and this was kind of almost like the industrial end of the railway station um, because in the 1920s um, there was a new um, kind of device invented for taking up and laying down track. Uh, it's known as the Bretland track layer. Uh, it was invented by an engineer with the Midland Ra- Great Western Railway man called Alfred White uh, Bretland. Uh, and Comprised, there was a sort of a train and a carriage, uh, and it could it could lay track, take up track at a much faster rate than just using human uh, work, workforce. Um, and it went all over the world, the Bretland track layer. But there was one of these track laying things was actually at Mullingar railway station for many decades. Um, and then when diesel trains began to replace the steam trains in the mid 1950s. Um, all steam carriages and engines were actually kind of brought into Mullingar to be broken up at the gantry area. So it was quite an important industrial area. Uh, and one of the things about the railway station in Mullingar, I mean, I think the number of employees there now is fewer than 10. But at one stage and for quite a long time, Mullingar railway station was one of the biggest employers in the town. It was employing at the beginning of the 20th century upwards of I think 500 people uh, at a time when the population in Mullingar was only around four and a half to 5,000. Uh, so it was a huge source of employment. Um, and uh, there were all kinds of jobs, including engine drivers and firemen and people who shoveled the coal onto the steam trains and porters. And um, there was a telegraph office on the Galway platform that um, was, was actually Mullingar was the centre for the whole telegraph network for the Midlands and the west of Ireland was the headquarters of the, of the telegraph network. So, so it, was a, it was a huge source of employment and a really very important place indeed. Now, as many people may know, Mullingar has always been known as a market town. Even the centre of the town, the Market Square, is our social and cultural centre. A sunny day shows this very well, along with the statue to our town's hero, singer Joe Dolan. I really wanted to know what the railways in the town did for this section, in terms of industry and imports and exports for the market days in the town. Ruth explains this to me, even noting the horses delivered to the races at Newbrook. How important was it for like the industrial nature of the town? You know, when people say that Mullingar was a market town, was this 
was the station this was yes um, it, it actually was because they said it was a market town we really didn't until really the 1960s and 70s Mullingar really didn't have much in the way of industry there were you know there were a few sawmills and a couple of things but nothing you could describe as an industry apart from the railway station so the nearest thing we had to kind of engineering work industrial mm-hmm. work was the railway station um and it was, it was a very, I mean, to, to work at the railway station was considered quite prestigious. Um, the, the most senior railway staff, as I said, they, they had the houses down just off Clonmore Road with a garden attached and quite a good salary. Um, and there were kind of almost like railway families because uh, mm-hmm. particular areas of the town, particularly up Patrick Street end and the, up towards the kind of fair green area where a lot of the railway employees lived. And just like the military uh, in Mullingar, you had kind of railway families that sort of passed on father to son and down the generations. For example, singer Niall Horan, his, he comes from a railway family. Three or four generations of the Horan family worked on, on the railways here. Um, and there would have been quite a number of such families in the town. So it was the nearest thing Mullingar had to a kind of industrial zone before the business industrial parks opened in the 1970s would have been the railway station and particularly that area stretching along the Galway line um, from from the station platforms westwards as far as what would now be Newbrook Bridge and and where the rail trail now begins. Um, Um, There was also, by the way... um, a siding because and people who travel along the rail trail will have seen it when you go out just near the very start of the rail trail in Mullingar you see two platforms and those platforms served Newbrook Racecourse. Uh, we had a race yeah. course in Mullingar from the 1850s until the end of the 1960s and uh, around 1902 the company running the ra- race course and the railway people came together and they actually built two platforms there so you could get a train from Dublin or wherever Maynooth come out on and you didn't have to get out of the railway station you just sat in your seat for another few minutes and then the train would pull in right beside uh, the, the entrance into the into the race course and you did have these race specials coming down bringing people and horses to Mullingar races so that, that was almost a, quite an important part of the uh, the railway station as well and that continued up until I think the last race at the racetrack was 1967 there were still running race specials up until certainly 1965 um, so that that was that was another part of kind of that section of the line the old Galway line. Now along with being a market town Mullingar has a deeply embedded military heritage with many people's relatives relocating to the town with the military barracks including my own grandfather. This is something we will look at in more detail in the next episode. But since the railways and the army barracks were the two main sources of employment in the town from the 19th century onwards, I wanted to know how important the railways were for the military, even going back to World War I, when I'm sure many of those soldiers' last glimpse of their hometown was indeed through the carriage of a steam train. I'm interested to know, since obviously Mullingar is a military town, is there, what's the relationship between the railway station and the barracks? I know, maybe from well, the war and things like that. Yeah, the the military always from the very beginning were, you know, noted, you know, that Mullingar was an important 
rail junction. I mean, the army, of course, was here long before the railway. The uh, column barracks had opened in 1807 and there been a military presence here long before then. But they certainly welcomed the coming of the railway. And in fact, it was a military report, I think, around the 1870s, which referred to Mullingar as being almost the very focus of the whole rail network in Ireland, because at that stage, not only could you travel to Dublin and Galway um, and Sligo, Westport, there were branch lines that could take you up to Cavan and down to mm-hmm. I think, Port Arlington and that and connect you through to Cork. So the ra- the military made a lot of use of the railway. They used the railway to transport troops to and from Mullingar, for example, in around 1873. Uh, they sent troops from Mullingar up to County Fermanagh. There, there was a, a, a major... Um, demonstration going on there. There was a, a danger of, of rioting, so the, the, the troops were, were dispatched from Mullingar up to Fermanagh, uh, that had gone by way of Cavan, um, uh, by train, and soldiers came and went by, by rail. Um, so, for example, the, in 1899, when the war in South Africa began, the Enniskillen Fusiliers Regiment were in the barracks here, and the descriptions in the paper of them marching down from the barracks to the railway station uh, with people cheering them along to board the trains that would take them on the first stage of their journey to South Africa. Um, And during the First World War, again, troops were coming and going all the time from the barracks. Some of these guys, many of whom would have been local, the last time they ever saw Mullingar was as the train pulled out of the station. So it was it was important to the military and during the time of the War of Independence, um, the local IRA units uh, targeted the railway station because for acts of sabotage uh, aimed against the Crown forces who were using the trains to transport various things like, for example, uh, petrol. So you had incidents where a train carrying diesel to a Royal Air Force base down in Galway, when it got into Mullingar, it was taken down a siding and all the petrol was si- or the diesel was siphoned out of it. Mm. Um, you had uh, railway men refusing to take trains uh, if soldiers were on board uh, the, the trains. Um, so there was, there was quite a lot of activity at the station aimed uh, at disrupting the military's use of the railway. In fact, they, at one stage there was, I think, a strike going on at Mullingar and elsewhere where railway workers basically said, we're not going to take trains if there are soldiers on them, we're not going to transport military equipment. Uh, that's our, our, you know, sort of, we're going to, our part in the war of independence. So, so the military made a lot of use of the railway. And that continued after... British times, the Irish Army would have made some use of the railway as well, although from kind of the 30s, 40s onwards, road transport was gradually replacing the railway. But it, it was important to the military. It's, the, it, um, and, and so I think the, the military were customers, the railway, and the military regarded the railway as important in their kind of strategies for sort of, um, you know, kind of control and and moving troops easily around the country. Interestingly, on the flip side to Mullingar's military history, through much of the town's history, it had, like the rest of the country, been under British rule and was a functioning part of the British Empire. The military barracks and the railways were standing as a testament to the Victorian era of the British Empire. 
However, recently, there has been a plaque and a time capsule erected close to the train station, detailing Mullingar's branch of the IRA, who notably attacked the station during the War of Independence and the Civil War. Ruth details some of these instances to me. There were episodes during the War of Independence. There was also the arrest of Sean McKeown, the IRA leader in Longford West Meath. He was actually arrested at the railway station as his train pulled in um, on the Sligo platform uh, by by soldiers. And as he was reached the, just up at the Green Bridge, he tried to make a break for freedom, but was shot and wounded just along coming back towards the railway station, just close to where the, um, the side entrance to the Newbury Hotel is now. Um, and uh, I think what, yes, I said during during the time of the, the Civil War, um, again, there were attacks uh, on railway property by Republican um, activists. A couple of signal boxes were burnt, not, not directly at the station, but one of the, one of the signal boxes further out along the line was burnt uh, and to protect the railway and to prevent the train derailments that happened further down the the line out at at Streamstown, where there were three trains derailed in one day, uh, the government uh, set up a thing called the uh, Railway Protection and Maintenance Corps, which comprised um, military personnel and railway staff uh, and the headquarters for the Midlands region was actually in Mullingar, uh, and there is a rather fantastic photograph taken early in 1923 at the railway station showing the, the, the uh, maintenance corps gathered around this huge armoured car uh, on which they had chalked uh, King Tut, because they just discovered Tutankhamun's tomb in Egypt, so uh, somebody decided to to name the engine this huge armoured car after the Egyptian pharaoh. So, so what really sets Mullingar railway station apart from any other station in the world seems to be the pride the town has in our railways. Apart from being a huge employer, Ruth tells me the many things that the station had to be proud of at the time. Even playing host to one of Ireland's favourite sons, James Joyce. But rather surprisingly for a town without an airport, we even had a role in the first flight across the Atlantic. Go ahead sort of place. They had gas lighting before the town had. They were one of the very first buildings in Mullingar along with St. Lomond's Hospital to have electric light back in the 1890s. Uh, And they were also, I think, the first station on the... Uh, that line outside of Dublin to have a subway, the the old subway which you can still see there um, and still occasionally used at the station. That that was put in, I think, around 1900 or a little earlier. Um, they still have the original railings uh, around it. Um, it's mentioned in James Joyce, by the way, the railway station. Joyce would have come through that station um, when he came to Mullingar. He was in Mullingar for a number of weeks in the summers of 1900 and 1901 while his father was doing work for the county council and in his earliest novel Stephen Hero um, it it mentions the hero Stephen coming who is Joyce himself really coming on this journey down through the Midlands in a packed train and getting out and just coming through the station and then being met by a man called Dan the Jarvey who would have been a kind of a taxi driver of the age uh, so Joyce would have been one of a number of famous people who came through that station and would have gone along that Galway line um, 
others would have included. Well, if you think most of the big political figures of the Victorian age, Parnell, Michael Davis, John Redmond, all of these would have come and gone along that rail line, coming to visit, um, give political rallies in towns like Mullingar. Um, you would have had famous, other famous people like W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory, Patrick Pierce cast, passed through there, many, many others. Um, and two things I particularly think of, the funeral of Michael Davitt, the founder of the Land League. He died in 1906 and his funeral, the coffin was brought across the country back to his native Mayo. Um, and as it passed through Mullingar and every other station along that line, people were lining the platform to, in sort of um, to pay homage to him. And the other big incident was in 1919, um, the first guys to fly the Atlantic Ocean, uh, Alcock and Brown, who flew from Canada to Ireland in uh, June of 1919. And after they'd sort of crash landed at Clifton and that they were on their way back to Dublin to go over to London and their train came up along that Galway um, Athlone, Athlone Mullingar line and when they reached Mullingar they gave an interview to the local press they were at the, they stood at the window of their carriage at, on the Galway platform for maybe 10 minutes or so and a local man presented them with a sort of a little he, he, a little model, wooden model of the aircraft that they had flown, the, the Atlantic. And, uh, and they were photographed in Dublin by the World's Press. And one of them was actually holding this model plane given to them in Mullingar. So they, they and people, hundreds of people turned out to see them. Uh, it was one of the biggest crowds ever seen at the railway station, in fact. Uh, and there were sort of whistles blown and... and uh, um, the a band there was a, the British Army Regiment in the barracks at that time, the East Yorkshire um, Regiment, and they their military band played tunes as the the guys uh, were were at the station. So that that was a one of uh, the most dramatic days in in the in the barracks in the station's history. I ended my interview with Ruth by asking her a question, which has been on my mind since I first laid eyes on the abandoned tracks, as we called them. Now. This couldn't be a better time to discuss the disused Athlone line because of the new cycle track. More and more people have ventured down to these tracks since lockdowns have been introduced for much needed exercise. Unfortunately, I'm not old enough to remember any trains being used on this line, but this has always just added to the area's wonder for me. With so many hidden treasures along the line that we can actually discover now by cycling there, I, like many others, want to know why and when did the line actually close for good? Why did they not just keep it open? Last question is, um, when, I know you might have answered this already, but when and why do you think the Athlone line closed? Um, yeah, they, it was, they began to, down, I mean, there was a, the station and the whole rail network was gradually kind of in decline from really the mid-1920s onwards. For example, um, the first thing that in 1925, they amalgamated all those various, there'd been several different rail companies in the, in the country, the Great Southern uh, Railway, the Midland Great Western Railway, and these were amalgamated into one railway company, which eventually became CIE. It, that wasn't its original name. It was, I think, the Great Southern Railway System or something like that. But, um, and that cost jobs. A lot of jobs went to Mullingar and elsewhere in West Mead. 
Uh, and then as more and more people were turning to rail or to road transport from the 30s, the single tracked the line. There was this thing, the Bretland track layer, and unfortunately it was taking up more track than putting down track. They single tracked the line, including the line between Mullingar and Athlone at the end of the 20s. Uh, and then they were closing the branch lines, that branch line to Clara, um, which you can still see it uh, around at um, Streamstown Station where that line just went off to, uh, branched off the, the main line. That that closed the line, branch line to Cavan, which actually started at a place called Inney Junction on the, the line to Longford. Uh, that that was closed. Um, and then I think the, the perhaps uh, CIE's thinking was there were fewer and fewer people using the trains, so they began to take trains instead of sending them through Mullingar to Galway, they were sending them through Athlone, Tullamore, along that line there. Um, and that, that started, I think, around 1973. Uh, and it just sort of, the, the numbers of trains just fell, and the, then by the late 80s, they seemed to be feeling, well, it's no longer worth it. So financially, they were losing money, so they just closed the, the passenger line, except from the, the, the odd special trains on All-Ireland uh, Sundays or the odd kind of pilgrimage train using it. But it was it, it stopped. And kind of, I think, just probably financially was the reason it, it just closed down. And they were constant calls or what I said I was a town councillor for 10 years and I think nearly every year I was on that council somebody on the council would put down a question notice of motion calling for the line to be reopened you know particularly the line between the two main towns of Westmead uh, but you know Aaron would always say no it's not going to happen and uh, I think um, then I think the county council then concluded you know that it wasn't ever going to happen again so th at that stage then the plans for the, um, the what we now call the rail trail began and that opened in 2015 and I, I to be honest I, I don't really see that rail line ever reopening as a rail line I just don't think it's going to happen you go out there I mean there are loads of really quite fine buildings and it's just a pity to see them now kind of derelict and some of them have been vandalized and things over the years so it's uh, it's one would hope that perhaps at some stage some kind of a, a museum could be could be actually built at the station because I, I think it would be it would be ideal it's it's very central for everywhere and it would be something great for the town and for the railway to have and particularly a station like that which is uh, you know over nearly 175 years now has been such a, a very important part of Mullingar's history and heritage a uh, really very important part of our our heritage and one that has said employed hundreds of people and brought quite an amount of prosperity to the town over the years standing down on the old platform it's almost impossible not to envision yourself waiting for a train to Galway or Athlone with a boarded up subway line to cross to the other line of the platform, tiles still the same from the early 20th century, station boxes still intact, engine sheds, workers' houses, turnstiles for steam trains, working train carriages, signal posts and even a bridge maintenance depot, it is a place that even the uninspired can become inspired. It's a window into Mullingar's past. It almost seems as if work could start again tomorrow, and hopefully someday it can.
although this is increasingly unlikely. We can be thankful though that through light exercise we can travel part of the journey that these trains, which played such a pivotal role in the development of the town, had travelled. I'd like to thank Ruth Illingworth for giving us the much needed insight into the station. Her knowledge has been invaluable to us. Talk to you again next time. This is That Overlooked and I'm your host, Regan Kelly. Mm-hmm.